0: with you, you might want to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. If um, you're with us for the first time this morning, then Ephesians is a book that we've been working our way through over the past month and a bit, and we'll have another couple of weeks in it, and that'll bring us to the end of the book and also to Easter. To our special Easter programs. And then next term, we will focus specifically upon our theme for this year, our focus, which is to do with connecting, <clears throat> connecting with God in prayer, particularly corporate prayer, connecting with God in other ways, through His Word and so on. Um, but we all want, want to grow and develop the aspect of corporate prayer, gr- praying together, <clears throat> connecting with one another, in fellowship, but especially in small groups. Uh, we call them life groups, where you study the Bible and share with each other openly and honestly and pray for each other and care for each other, support each other. and So connecting with one another and then also especially the theme of connecting with others, connecting with those who are disconnected from God or even um, connecting with those who uh, once followed Jesus, once followed God but now have drifted. Uh, connecting with them and praying that God would bring the prodigals back and And to receive them with open arms and so on. That's what our theme is going to focus upon, both morning and evening, uh, for all of second term. But back to this morning, we find ourselves in the book of Ephesians. And we are in the practical part of the letter where the Apostle Paul is um, applying the truths that he has outlined. I'll come back and talk about that in a moment. Let's hear what God says to us through his Apostle in this passage. Ephesians chapter 5 verse... 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. <clears throat> so the passage so far has said positively, imitate God, be imitators of God and live a life of love. And don't do all this other stuff that we've just read, verses 3. Now I'll return to the positive in a couple of verses. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Then the negative. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But in everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That's why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Third positive, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's connecting with one another, speaking to one another, submitting to one another, and all flowing out of a relationship of having been connected with God. This morning is... uh, Today is the fifth Sunday in the month, and on the fifth, sun, on the fifth Sunday of each of the, each time this year, there are four in a year, and uh, on this one and the coming ones, there'll be not only baptismal services, but we also want to do the teaching out of the passage wherever we're up to, but to have a very clear focus of what we're calling a home-run sermon. You know, when you go through all of the basics, from the basics, first step, second step, third step, with a view to people being given the opportunity to be able to commit, for people to become certainly followers of the Lord Jesus, or if you already are, then becoming a committed follower of the Lord Jesus, and if you already are, then taking the step of recommitment. I'm going to invite you to pray. Bow with me. Let's pray, <clears throat> Heavenly Father. Thank you again for this opportunity that we have. Thank you for your Word. We thank you for each other. We thank you for the work that you've been doing in our lives, and we've a grateful Lord this morning. We've had the privilege of witnessing you at work in the life of a young family. We thank you for again for. Karen, for Peter, and Familia. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. Bless you that my dad's out of hospital. We pray for our dear sister, Shirley, who wanted to come this morning but is unwell with heart issues. We pray for our dear sister, Jan, and Ron. We pray, Father, for folks um, who would love to be here. That's their heart, but can't. So uh, for Rita, for Shirley, bless them and be with them. And then, Lord, we do pray that you'll be with us in a way that will not and that we will sense your nearness, that we'll hear your voice and that our lives will be impacted. Thank you for this opportunity. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Um, I have a problem. I have many problems. But the problem I have right now is the clock says 7 o'clock. <laughs> what is it? that's going to, that'll throw me out. I, have, I usually gauge what I'm doing and saying by this, the clock, so I don't know if we can change that or fix that, but if somebody can, if you just give me the time at 22, 20 to 10, 10.40, I should be nearly finished. Oh, you're making a very big assumption. Thank you, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard about the preacher who kept looking at his watch, don't you, and what it meant. Absolutely nothing. The whole Bible can be summed up in one word. What word would you pick? God. True. Jesus. Love. They're all good words. They're wrong, but they're all good words. They're not wrong. I would summarise the Bible up with my word. My one word is relationship. The Bible is all about relationships. Primarily and firstly, a relationship with God. With God, with Jesus. And then flowing out of that, and because of that, relationships horizontally with one another. And the people who said truth and love, that's where they fit in. That's, the Bible's all about that. Speaking the truth in love. See, speaking the truth, God is a God of truth and love. And this morning, particularly, that word love is going to be the focus. Verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us, gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A person came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, out of all of the commands in the Old Testament, there's 613 of them in the Pentateuch, 365, number of days in the year, positive, 248, negative. Of all of the commands, 613, which one is the greatest? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment, the first commandment is to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second, Jesus said, is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love God, love people. Which is why Augustine, great theologian, fourth century, he said, as I said a couple of weeks ago, he used to say, just as a little motto, love God and do what you please. And people when they hear it first time go, good, no, you can't do that, people will just do what they please. No, 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 it's not what he said. Love God. And if you love God, and you will talk about love and what it means, if you love God then you can do what you please because you're The heart's desire will be to please him so it's really Augustine is saying love God and do as he pleases and then he'll give you the desires and the want to and it'll be what you please to do as well so that's how Jesus summarized it love God and love your neighbor as yourself that's certainly the thrust of the scriptures and the emphasis for us this morning as followers of the Lord Jesus the book of Ephesians the Apostle Paul has been outlining for us this God's plan of what he intended all along, of why he started this of why he started creation, and then how creation went wrong, and then what God's plan was to bring creation back on course. That right from the beginning of time, before time in fact. Before he created anything, God worked out a plan. He knew that we would rebel, he knew that we would go our own way, he knew that we would become infected with his selfishness. And his cure was to come himself in the person of Jesus. And to pay the penalty for our sin, to take the punishment that we deserve, to stand in the gap, to protect us against the wrath and the judgment which is rightly ours, and he took it upon himself. That's what Jesus did. He came and he gave himself for us because he loved us. He was committed to us. And now because of that transaction, we have become his followers. He has worked in our lives. He has changed us. He has demonstrated his love for us. That's very clever. Um, they have put a clock up on the back screen for me. It'll probably give a warning sign before long. So that's what God's plan was, in the person of Jesus, to bring people who have gone astray, to bring them back. Not to force them, but to offer it, to invite them. You need to respond. That's what John the Baptist came preaching. You need to repent and to believe. You need to come to the point of acknowledging, my life is not right. And God is saying, "I have a way to help make it right." First step, need to be forgiven. Second step, need to be cleansed. Third step, need to be empowered. It's not about self-improvement; it's about responding to Him. So, therefore, the Apostle Paul comes to this point of application, and he has said before, Chapter Four: "Because we are God's people, we are to be united. Because we are God's people, we are to be." Pure were to be holy, were to be morally upright that's the goal that's what we are to endeavor to do, not to be uh, excusing and condoning um, sinful behavior in ourselves or in others, not to be holier than others, not to be holier than they are, not, not to be judgmental, but to be committed to becoming like the Lord Jesus and then in chapter five he goes on with his same analogy, he then says You are God's people, be united. You're God's people, be holy. You're God's people, live like him. Just like children imitate parents, become imitators of God. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. And God is primarily a God of love, a God who is committed and a God who gives, not only, but primarily. Then in verse 8, he says, um, because you are God's people, be people of the light, of the truth. Follow him as you live in the midst of a dark world. And finally, verse 15, the third thing is, because we are God's people, we are to walk in the way of wisdom, to be careful how we walk in this world which is filled with spiritual and moral uh, minds, and we're to keep our eyes on Jesus as we seek to follow and obey him, follow him. They are the five primary applications, and that one has a way of working its way out. But this morning, I'm going to spend all of my time just on this first one, be imitators of God as his dearly loved children, and live a life of love that's what God is calling us to back in chapter 4 verse 32 it says be kind and compassionate to one another forgive each other just as God in Christ forgave you what God did for you in the person of Jesus forgiving you for your sin what God did for you do that for others that's what he's saying imitate God that's what Jesus says be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful become like him, imitate him. Well, to state the obvious, if we are going to imitate God, then number one, we need firstly to be a child of God. The scriptures are not a moralistic manual, empowering us in our own strength to pull ourselves up by our bootlaces and to live better, moral, good lives. The Bible's not about that. The Bible is about how we can't do it in our own strength and we need his empowerment within us. We need to ask him for it. So to imitate God as his dearly loved child, firstly, you need to be his child. But isn't everybody God's child? No. Well, in one sense, yes. God is the creator and in that sense, we are his offspring. So we're a child in that very general sense. But when the Bible talks about being his child, we're talking about him being our father And us being his sons and daughters, it's about a relationship. And that's exactly what Jesus taught, that we can become children of God when we believe, when we repent, excuse me. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we can be born again, we can be given a new life. Not just a new start, but a new life, a new life force within us, a new inclination towards God. We can be born again and we can know that we are born again. We may not know if others are born again. We can suspect very highly. Jesus says, by their fruits you will know them. But at the end of the day, we are not infallible and we're not all discerning and that we can't know infallibly that that person is born again. But we can know for ourselves. We can be aware of the evidence within. There is a change. There's change of desire. Once we rebelled against God and wanted to go our own way, now we are attracted to him, that we love him, that we have a desire to want to obey him, that we want to love his word and even love his people. Come back and talk about that. And we have a desire to serve him. The Apostle John in his letter, chapter 3 verse 1 says, see what great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God and such we are. And then you read through his letter and you'll find there are about half a dozen proofs. You can know that you are born again. You can know that you are his child by this, by this, by this. Calling Jesus Lord. Knowing Jesus the Son of God. Obeying his commandments. Loving the brothers and sisters and so on. There's about six different proofs. If we're going to be imitators of God, we firstly need to be a child of God. And we can be. And you'll get an opportunity this morning to be able to do that. If we're going to be imitators of God as his children, then we need to know him and we need to know his ways. You can only imitate someone if you know them. You can't imitate someone if you don't know them. That makes sense, doesn't it? Stephen Cole, a preacher in the United States, a preacher that I like to read um, and sometimes listen to, way back in the 1970s, which is a long time ago, but there were people alive on the earth back in 1970. He once had a job as a you know, university student or something like that. Um, he was paid to impersonate Charlie Chaplin. Put up your hand if you don't know who Charlie Chaplin is. No hands went up. Oh, then talk to the person beside you and they'll tell you. <laughs> had to impersonate Charlie Chaplin. It was at a movie land wax museum in Southern California and it was for you know, a period of time over the summer. And so what he found he had to do, if I'm going to impersonate Charlie Chaplin, I have to study him. So he watched all of the movies and he studied his movements and how he twirled the cane and how he walked and wobbled and all those facial expressions that he had. He got to know him and then over the summer, Stephen Coles testifies, he said he had thousands of people come and stand next to him and have their photo taken. People from all over the world would come to do it. But the point was, if he was going to imitate Charlie Chaplin, he would need to... Know Charlie Chaplin and know his ways. So, too, for us. If we're going to imitate God, we need to know God and know his ways. If we're going to be like him, to imitate him, <clears throat> then you need to listen to the scriptures because that's where God reveals himself to us. Not imitating the God of our imagination or the God of our wanters or the God of tradition or the God of movies or philosophy, but the God who is of what he is really like. And we only know that through the Bible, through the Scriptures. He has told us, he's revealed himself to us. He's not only told us what he is like, he has also, in the Scriptures, given us many examples of how he acts and how he works. And we read one this morning. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you, so forgive one another. We learn what God is like. And if we're going to do that, then we are secondly going to have to spend time with him. Time equals influence. You have to spend time with someone if you're going to know them and if you are going to imitate them. That's certainly the case. That's how it works in families. That's how children copy parents. They copy their mannerisms. They copy their looks. They copy their habits, good habits, and so too bad habits. They copy. They watch and they learn. They watch how we treat people, how we speak. They hear the language and our tones of voices. They pick up on our moral standards that we model and exemplify in their lives. I've got a photo on my desk at home in my office. It was given to me, I think, by my son, I think. It's a, f- it's a card, which I'll put into a frame, and it's a probably the 1940s, 1950s. It's a black and white photo, and it's a photo of three people, and it's taken from behind as they're walking up a footpath. There are two adults, and behind the two adults, one older gentleman, one younger gentleman, the two adults, and behind them is a third boy, a little boy. So I think that's a grandfather, father, and a son. And they've got exactly the same posture as they're walking up the street. That's a great photo because it's a great reminder that we pick up on the mannerisms of those we spend time with. I've done that with my father, subconsciously. I grew up saying, I will never be like him. You probably did too. I'll never be like Daryl's dad. (laughs) Rhonda did it. There are things about her mum that she said, I will not do that. And as she has said to me over the years, and as I have said to her just once, because the consequences were too great, (laughs) you're like your mother. Like I said, just once, (laughs) which is not true. Um, But on numerous occasions, Rhonda has said, and even my kids have said, whoa, that's like pop. That's what they call my dad, pop. Whoa, that's like pop. And now our granddaughter, Violet, so she's a fourth generation away from him. Now, she doesn't know him. She's only met him a couple of times in her life. But she has a way of tilting her head and looking up at you, and you think, that's pop. Well, how did she get it? Well, I got it from him. My son got it from me. And she got it from him. The people you spend time with are the people who are going to influence you. You want to be influenced and imitate God? You've got to spend time with him. Read your Bible, pray, talk to him, read about him. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's why David prays in Psalm 25. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for you I wait all day make me to know you Lord show me teach me your truth from your word teach me what you are like that's his heart's desire and there are no shortcuts you can't take a pill and there's no quick way to grow up it's it takes time and you just spend time with him so to imitate God if we're going to be obedient to this command become imitators of God therefore as dearly beloved children you need to know him in the person of the lord jesus and to know what he is like you need to spend time with him and you need to be reading what he is like in the bible and then thirdly very quickly if you're going to imitate him it's all all encompassing it's comprehensive as you learn about him he's a god who speaks the truth so to imitate him we will become truth tellers he is a god who is faithful faithful to his promises faithful to his word faithful to his character So likewise, we in our lives need to be increasingly faithful, faithful in our dealings with one another. He is a God who is holy, morally pure. And so we will find that we are lifting our standards morally in our behaviours. As he is merciful, so we'll be merciful. As he is gracious, so we will increasingly become gracious. As he is forgiving, so we become forgiving. The Apostle Paul has picked one attribute, and it's the attribute of love. He says in verse 2, To live a life of love, just as Christ. Imitate him. Just what Jesus did, do that for one another. What's this life of love? We talk a lot about love, and it becomes pretty ethereal, mystical, difficult. I love my wife. I love my children. I love the Bible. I love God. I love pizza. I love apple pie. I love football. I love coffee. I hope I'm using the word differently for all of those. The way that I love my wife, I think, is very different to how I love pizza. <laughs> Some of you have very corrupt minds. <laughs> don't we all? Uh, love is not, it is not what our world permeates the message for us through movies and through novels and it's not a warm fuzzy feeling that's not love that's hormonal that's chemical that's something else but it's not love we call it love our world calls it love that's not what the bible means when it talks about love it's not a warm fuzzy feeling it's not magical it's not something you fall into I fell in love nor is it something you fall out of two and maybe three times in my life as a pastor I have the terrible experience of a young couple who have been married for you know less than two years and he comes home one day or she says to him whatever whichever way it goes um, I love you I'm just not in love with you and because I'm not in love with you I'm going to divorce you I don't want to be married anymore And it's because there's this loss of this warm, fuzzy feeling, which is not love. Not in the Bible. Well, what is love? Well, I'll tell you. Love is an attitude that flows into action. It's not hormonal, chemical, it's not emotional bonding, it's not infatuation. All of those things are nice. That's not love. We need to call it something else. Love is a verb, it's a decision, it's a commitment. It's something you decide to do. It's not something you fall into, boom, boom, you know. Everything feels good. That's something else. Chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That's what love is. It's an attitude. It's an action. It's a commitment. It's a decision. I will love you. means I will be committed to you. I will care for you. I will do what's best for you. I am committed to you. So these people who come home and say, "Um, I don't love you anymore and say, I want a divorce, are saying, I'm not committed to you anymore. I'm breaking my decision to stay committed to you. I want to go do something else. That's what it is. I don't love you anymore means I don't want to love you anymore. Love is not a feeling. But your feelings will follow the commitment. But the feeling is not the commitment. When I said to Rhonda, 30-something, seven years ago, she'll tell me in a minute, I do. I take you to be my wife for life till death do us part. There was one stage in my life, I think I've told you before, where it really got a bit difficult. My first year as a pastor, in fact. And by the end of, nearly the end of that year, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way, through that year, I'd had enough. I was emotionally spent. We were drifting apart and uh, we weren't close and the commitment was shaky. And I had a pretty significant pity party, pity me, and I invited her to come to it and we had a very honest chat. And from that point on, we we scared ourselves that we had gotten like this. We were so busy and so distracted that we hadn't spent time with each other and we had just drifted. We had two kids and she was flat out with the kids. I was at college and I had a church and I was investing all of my life into that and we were just going like this. In that conversation, I said to her, I can still remember saying it, and she agreeing wholeheartedly, the word divorce is not in our vocabulary. We will not divorce. We will kill each other before we do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have never departed from that. We have never revisited that. We have never gone back to that, to my knowledge. We have never gone back onto... (laughs) Even though the same thing can happen. She can become busy at work and I can get busy at work and we can start to drift apart we put in place we sit down we go on dates we make sure that that doesn't happen when it does happen we repent and fix it up love is a commitment and God is inviting us to be committed to him not to feel warm fuzzy feelings towards him though there will be times that you do but he's inviting us to be committed to him committed to his cause and committed to one another love is costly love is committed love is conspicuous and love is consecrating Love is a costly commitment that is both conspicuous and consecrating. Let me explain that to you in a few minutes. It's costly. The Lord Jesus went to the cross. It cost. For God sake, so love the world that he gave. Love is about giving. It's laying aside our selfishness, our pride, our rights, and it's giving, giving time, giving self, giving whatever we are able to give into the relationship with the other. It's costly. It's denying self. It's committed to the good of the other. Secondly, it's committed. The Lord Jesus didn't go to the cross because he felt good. He went because he was committed. He was committed to the Father's will. Those feelings of warm, fuzzy feelings, of feeling love will come and go. And I believe, I have experienced, that in fact my love, my feelings of love will tend to follow my commitment. What I am committed to, my feelings will follow, not invariably, not infallibly, but generally. It is a costly commitment, and love is conspicuous. It's visible, it's obvious, it's demonstrated. It's not simply nice thoughts and nice feelings that are kept within. It's verbal, and it's action, and finally, it's consecrating. It seeks the highest good of the other, Uh, Jesus gave himself for the church to sanctify her, to cleanse her, to make her right. And that also means, because I am loving, it may mean that there'll be times when we have to correct another. We disciplined our children because we loved them. We weren't indifferent to their misbehaviour. That's what love does. It corrects, it imposes consequences. But out of love and for the purpose of the good of the other person. So what is love? It's a commitment. It's a costly commitment, and it's to be obvious. And when the Apostle Paul says that we are to walk in love, it's this step-by-step, day-by-day. It's a process that goes over time, which should mean in theory that the more we follow the Lord Jesus, the more loving we become. That's how it should work. That I I follow him day-by-day, year-by-year that I am becoming more like him. It's a journey, isn't it? And it's not a smooth journey. It's not ever, always ever upward. It's forward a couple of steps and then back up one and then forward and then there are times of plateau and times of growth. And, but nonetheless, moving forward, becoming more like him. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in him. He empowers us. He moves us. We can measure our love for one another. I'll finish on this whole theme. Um, We can measure our love for one another by these four... Here are four questions. Do you love others? Do you love God? And if you do love God, then you'll love His family. John tells us that you can't love God and not love believers. If you don't love believers, uh, this is not true. To love Him overflows into loving them. Not the warm, fuzzy feeling, the commitment the costly commitment that is consecrating, that is um, helpful, cleansing towards them. So do you think of your brothers and sisters with joy and look forward to church and fellowship? Yep. Well, tick. Not an issue. You can test your love for one another by your willingness to overlook failures or mistakes or weaknesses or shortcomings, by your willingness to forgive. Thirdly, you can measure your love for one another, imitating God and being living a life of love, costly love, by refusing to repeat rumours about one another, unless it's absolutely necessary that information has to be shared for very good reasons, but otherwise, refusing to spread rumours. And fourthly, you can measure your love for one another by looking for ways to bless them, to help them, to support them. Let me finish by telling you the story of the Alamo, because the Alamo reminds me it's all about commitment, and then I'm going to ask you for your response. The Alamo (coughs) um, was a Spanish mission in San Antonio, Texas. Back in the 1800s, when Mexico seceded from Spain's control, then Texas also wanted to get independent of Mexico, and this little outreach mission in San Antonio, Texas, was turned from a mission into a fortress. And there were 180, 188 men inside that little mission. And Santa Ana, who was the president, the uh, leader of the Mexico, sent his army north to put down the rebellion. And here were 188 men inside against great numbers, thousands of, in the Mexican army coming against him. There were some famous people inside it, Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, and in fact, I've been to San Antonio, we went there, and we looked at the wall, of the, all the names of the 188 are on the wall, and there were two names, Robert Evans, and there's another Evans. So I have family members, of course they're in my family. Uh, <laughs> we're at the Alamo. And of course, you've seen the movies, heard the quote, Remember the Alamo. And there was this very famous anecdotal story where the Colonel William Travis, William Barrett Travis, um, the, the, it's overwhelming. And he knows they're going to be defeated. And so he says... He calls them together and he says to all 188, you have a choice. Your choice is you can live, but to do so you'll need to leave. You have that opportunity now. Or you can choose to stay to fight, but you will most certainly die. But you'll stand for the cause of freedom in Texas. And so he takes out his sword, draws a line in the sword in the sand and he gives these words, those prepared to give their lives in freedom's cause come over to me. And without hesitation, all, nearly all, 187 of them, 186 of them, stepped over the line. Colonel Jim Barry uh, Bowie was uh, sick, lying on a bed, and he asked them to come back and to carry him over. 187. There was only one man who did not cross the line, there was only one man who left, and he is the man who tells this story. Without hesitation, they decided for freedom. So too, we have a line drawn in the sand. The Lord Jesus says to us, you need to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Will you be committed to me and to my cause? Or you have a choice. You can live your own life your way, but there will be consequences to it. A choice for all of us. You can grow in your relationship with God, through the person of the lord jesus you can know him step over the line you can change your character you can change your habits and mannerisms and attitudes by having his empowering presence step over the line you can have a life of very deep personal satisfaction and meaning but not without stepping over the line not without commitment to him so i invite you today cross the line if you never have decide for jesus invite him to come into your life to follow him and if not now When, And if not him, why not? So I'm going to invite you to bow. Close your eyes. In a moment I'll pray. In a moment I'm going to invite you, whoever you are and wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to step over the line. To do that by simply raising your hand. If you do raise your hand then you'll be saying, I want to commit myself to God. I want to please him, obey him, glorify him. I want him to be Lord of my life. I want his forgiveness. I want a close, intimate relationship with him. I commit myself to spending time with him, to reading his word, to learning about him, to become more like him. If you raise your hand and you're also committing yourself to loving God's people, It's easy to say that we love mankind in general, but this challenge is that we will love specific individuals in a specific church, whether it's this church or your own church somewhere else. It's a commitment. And if you make the commitment, then it's a commitment to work through differences and misunderstandings. It's a commitment to stick it out and to stay the long haul, committing yourself. So for those who would like, with heads bowed, with eyes closed just privately if you want to commit yourself to God to God's people raise a hand hands down let's pray thank you heavenly father that you are committed to us that you loved us that you gave your son for us which have likewise given us your spirit that you've extended the hand to us of forgiveness of a relationship with you and of meaning and purpose in life Lord I pray especially for those who raise their hands that you will bless them that you will empower them and enable them to spend time with you and to be committed to you and to one another For those, Heavenly Father, who didn't raise their hands, who are either still on the way or still making a decision, I pray that you would continue to remind them and draw them to yourself. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are committed, that you're loving. Help us to imitate you in this fallen world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.